Okay, faithful listener, if you have made it to part two of Emo Chronology with me and Josh Kane, then either you need to go back and listen to part one if you haven't listened to that yet. But if you have already listened and you're here, then please do me a favor, pause this episode and send part one to two or three friends that you know have a Rites of Spring, Sunday Day Real Estate, Get Up Kids, or Promise Ring album that they love. And uh, maybe they'll love the show too. I'm excited to have Josh back for part two. We are going to get through a few more years here. <laughs> Still only getting to about 1997, but that's uh, just life. A uh, lot of emo to cover. It's still January, which means it's still emo month. Pretty good vibrations. So thanks for hanging in, getting sad, uh, hitting each other right in the feels. Next week, we're going to have part one of a two-parter going through Jimmy Eat World's album Clarity, keeping it emo for the rest of the month. All right, into part two with Josh Kane. All right, Josh, thanks for coming back. I think last episode was for the real heads who wanted to know, like, 1985 to 1994. Now we are in 95, and we are starting to get to some of these big records Mm -hmm. that define, essentially, the emo movement before it goes mainstream with Jimmy Eat World and some of those huge radio hits. Uh, As we talked about on the Power Pop episode um, smoking. We actually didn't get to the smoking pope, so this is fun to be able to talk about them because I accidentally left them out. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> they are definitely power pop. Yeah, because uh, they're definitely power pop band. But I do think they fit in this lineage of what we talked about last week, which is this Midwest power pop early emo. It's not quite as technical. It's a lot more pop songwriting focused, but it very clearly bleeds in. I mean, clearest in Super Chunk, which we heard last last week. But here's mm-hmm. uh, Need You Around. Uh, this is from 1995 by the Smoking Popes. I mean, it is definitely Morrissey. <laughs> oh, there's some Morrissey in there, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, this band, yeah, that band was, well, you know, it's not even just their sound. Like, didn't there a bunch of lore, a similar lore around them as like the Sunny Day Real Estate thing? Didn't he find God and give all his money away that he gotten from the record label? There's some lore about them where he like know. gave all his money away from the record deal and broke up the band. Whoa. Like, or it could be total bullshit, but that was the word of mouth pre-internet lore i'd heard about that band is that the re the they there was some sort of denouncing pop culture kind of thing that happened there but interesting it could be completely untrue i, I mean like know. yeah i don't know i would have no idea i'd have to look that up <laughs> this is literally what i remember from a kid someone saying to me could be completely it's false. funny that that is a part though of this era of music yeah, is you hear saying. rumors about bands. You can't verify them. There's no Wikipedia. No, it no. becomes a part of the way that you think about a band and maybe even affects how you feel about a band. Like mm-hmm. somebody made, I saw a meme the other day of like, remember how in 1994 or whatever, like 
30 million of us of 30 million American school kids mutually convinced each other that Marilyn Manson had removed a rib to be able to suck his own dick. Yeah. 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 Like it's just shit like that. Like how did that spread did around that get, the world? Well, it's sort of, no, it's like, how did it get started? Cause once it gets started, of course it's spread around the world, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. pre-internet. So one other smoking pup song, this is, I know you love me. This is the track I meant to play in the power pop episode that I just think is so awesome. So I'm tempted to go straight to the promise ring, but I do think after chatting with you that we need to talk about Captain Jazz before mm. we get to the promise ring, because what you've told me is the shittiness of their recording explains the shittiness of the promise ring recording. Yeah, <laughs> so, I feel like, I feel like <laughs> in interests the... of uh, protecting the promise ring's reputation. So 95, Captain Jazz, they put out a record. The full title of the record is Burritos Inspiration Point. These are commas separating these fork balloon sports cards in the spokes, automatic biographies, kites, Kung Fu trophies, banana peels. We've slipped on and eggshells. We've tippy toed over also known as schmap and schmaz. This is thought to be basically what is often referred to as Midwest emo. I know we've been talking about these Midwest bands and bands that have this kind of what we might call uh, a Great Lakes sort of a sound with the power pop mixed in there. But Midwest emo often refers to these kind of more math rocky types uh, of influences in emo. You've got the kind of finger picking guitar parts, clean guitar parts, weird tunings, less straight ahead drum beats, right? Stuff like that. So this is Little League by Captain Jazz. And this song... Uh, is in every single rundown of the origins of emo. So that it's something. Captain Jazz is something. It's something that, you know, I'm supposed to like and I don't. I do like that track, but I've never really uh, I bought uh, that on the record. It's a tough it's just a tough power power through. There it, definitely there's songs that are great and like I hear what's great about that song. Like I want yeah. it to be really great. Um but again, like, you know, the way that that early promise string stuff is grading to you, that is extremely grating as well. Well, let's hear. Let's let's play another grading song. So here's now we're going to get to the promise ring here. So we had to give them a little bit of a buffer so that they wouldn't be so uh, cold, alone, <laughs> and naked. So here's "Between Pacific Coasts" by the Promise Ring. Josh, this is unlistenable. It really is. You know is. what? I should have probably given you a different song from that album that is less, no, it's okay. less that way. It's but. unlistenable, but but 
we're the next record is so listenable. Yeah, so, talk about that song and that record. So yeah, we were supposed to play a show. My band, Status Girl Story, which was like very similar to this emo stuff that we're talking about right here in this era. Like we existed in like '96, and we we were supposed to play a show with the Promise Ring and Mineral at a skate park in like Rochester, Minnesota. And we showed up and there was some shenanigans between the promoter and the scene girl that ran things, scene woman that ran things back then. And we got kicked off for some other band that they wanted on or I don't know. It was a whole so shebang. Yeah. It was very sad to us. Big devastating moment for my band, um, which I've actually talked to the promise ring about <laughs> later in life when we were playing shows and running into them. But any, anyways, Got to watch them there at the skate park. And it's just a phenomenal show seeing Mineral and the Promise Ring. Just It's like such an era-specific moment, you know? Oh, yeah. So skipping ahead one year to 97, they put out Nothing Feels Good, yep. produced by Jay Robbins. Mm-hmm. And this drops like just a bomb. This record yes. sounds so cool. You've still got the idiosyncrasy of Davey's like, lisp that he sings with. Mm-hmm. But the production is great. We're gonna play a couple of songs, clips from a couple of songs. Here's perfect lines. The track that you wanted to hear was "Nothing Feels Good," mm-hmm. right? But yeah, they're they're all. I mean, they're all good. There's the so much here, but let's play that, and then let's just kind of talk about the record as a whole. So here is "Nothing Feels Good" title track. Don't know the ocean floor. With what you told me last week about like being the sad kid who oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, this is like Josh Catnip. That's oh song yeah, right dude. There. This that yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, <laughs> and on the first album that I, I gave you that punk song on, like there yeah. is a song on there that is like, oh my god, it is you know, the harmonics and it's like bling blong, bling blong. Yeah. I don't know, it's perfect for me. Like it's like the uh yeah, promising. I I I went deep on that band. I I I, I really liked it. It really blew my mind. That <laughs> record hits incredible highs. Like I'm just thinking of. I want to find an instrumental section of Red and Blue Jeans. Uh, also on this record of just like when everything is playing, um, all the guitars and drums and bass are are rolling. Let me find this section here to play. Even the artwork for this album, it's just like the quintessential emo artwork. You're right. With like the Pantone color circles and like, you know, a vaguely nostalgic photo of a building. I mean, it's like, (laughs) it's, it's totally like some sort of white or other colored border. It's not just the photo that is, you're right. It is exactly the dead center of emo artwork. Yeah, 
so like what we were talking about last week, I live for that moment right there. Mm. Yeah, That's totally, my totally. favorite part of any song like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a shame. This band should have been the thing. They were on a path that seemed unstoppable, like yeah. rising to the top of the, huh. the emo world. But it just, I mean, the final album, which is like their their big, you know, epitaph, anti-release. Um, you mean, I got married I walked on to one of their songs. Size of Your Life is like what yeah. we walked on to. Wow. It's got some amazing things. I just thought people weren't ready for them to be yeah. that. All the emo bands that go through this phase in this era, you know, where they try to like escape themselves in a way that is like not good. It's not something a good we move. didn't talk about, but I meant to at the beginning. Almost no emo band ever has embraced the title of or label of emo. Or, or it, yeah, really just leaned in fully to what they yeah. are, you know? Yeah. like I always did. In Sherwood, I would call us an emo pop band. And I think it was kind of my little punk rock way of, of zigging when everyone else zagged. I was mm. like, fuck it, man. Yeah, we're an emo band. So when anybody would come at us about stuff, they, I would just be like, you know, we don't label ourselves necessarily. But like, if you really had to label my band, I would say we're a pop band. Like that's what we try, you know. Yeah, we're a pop rock band. You're but a pop rock I, band, yeah. But yeah. like, I mean, we're more pixies than anybody else. Like, you know, if you really dig into what we're sounding like, yeah. You made like the Vulture some, Hundred Greatest Emo Songs list. You know? I know, no, we did. But if you go to that, is your band emo site? We don't come up. Oh, with emo. you you don't qualify there. Okay, well, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. The the jury's out. Uh, one thing I will definitely do throughout my entire life is leave the gatekeeping to someone else. Yes, don't exactly. Give a shit. You know, that's our best response to any of that stuff was just <laughs> yeah. like, hey, you want to label us? Cool. I don't care. Like, All right. We got it. We got to jump back a year because we jumped from 95 or 96 to 97 to, to stick with the promise ring. Oh, to give them the fair shake. Yeah. Because I, I <laughs> yeah. wanted people to understand how great that band was and not end <laughs> with, uh, with between Pacific Coast. I mean, because to me, like, that's the problem. It's like, we, you know, we have different eras of emo and like sure. the way we grew up. And to me, emo is that like we had no budget. We were absolutely totally. refused technology when we record. So, like, they, I feel like that record can't even be recorded to a click track it's just like right me in that era was the same way like you know record to a click track you fucking sell out like (laughs) what like that that's literally how my brain was like and like the idea of like recording and like and then the first time like i did that it was hard and crazy and i think yeah and i think that that's what these bands are going through those those growing pains that you don't really know about in the background of what bands are but we had made eps and they turned out okay and weird Right. Um, but the moment we tried to lock it in and went through the growing pains of locking it in, like it, everything changes. And I think that that's what you hear between that that album, Thirty Degrees Everywhere, and and every, every uh, nothing, nothing feels, feels good. good. It's just yeah. like so perfectly put totally. in place. Yeah. Okay. So ninety six. Uh, we got three releases we need to talk about. The first one's really quick. This is Texas is the reason. New York band. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They a big major label signing. It didn't really happen. They didn't put out another record. But this song, Back into the Left, you see it on all these lists because yeah, it so really good. holds up. It's a great song. It's the drop D emo.
But the thing about Texas, the reason that's different than a lot of other bands at that era is they're the drop D one. They're the one that listened mm. to Helmet and they were like, we can do that, but like do it emo. <laughs> like it's Interesting. totally like that. Yeah. Like it's all drop D. Like you can hear it in there. Like, like yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the, the, uh, for non-guitar players, you tune your bottom string down to D instead of E, and that's mm-hmm. like uh, Dashboard Confessionals drop D tuning. It's like oh, op- I, I open D tuning, probably, where you're mm-hmm. getting all these ringing out. And, and the kind of open string ringing thing is is going to come in with a lot of these emo bands, but where we're at in the chronology, it hasn't really hit yet. That We haven't heard a lot of that thus far. Here's a band that I don't really know where to put. They're always in the conversation about early emo, but I can never quite make it stick, and that is Weezer. Mm. So in 96, Pinkerton comes out. Lyrically, the emo tag makes a lot of sense. It's Rivers at his most confessional, sincere, vulnerable, but sonically, I it never quite fits in for me. The closest I can get is Tired of Sex, which is the opening track of Pinkerton. Let's hear a little bit of that, and then I'm going to get your take on what you think about Weezer in this conversation. kind of a unicorn of a band i it's just hard for me to put them in any especially those early records as much as sunny day did for me weezer did the same right oh yeah in the, same. in the in the in the altering my life like a song on the blue album the only in dreams like that song oh, right let's yes. play the let's so play emo the end like, of only in dreams i don't really call weezer emo, but this song i also find this part to be emo That's what I'm doing at the end of songs. Like that whole yeah. Weezer thing <laughs> is, you yes. know, mixed with like Sunny Day Real Estate. I mean, I'm less yeah. eloquent as Weezer is because they, I mean, they're like great guitar player. Rivers is just like, you know, the yeah. fucking next level. Virtuoso, yeah. Yes. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily call Weezer anyway. They're an alternative band, but they were doing this stuff and they're not really influenced by it. But I would say like everyone's influenced by Weezer. Like yes. from that era, like the Jimmy Worlds, the, the anything coming out past Weezer yep. was like, man, I want to make my record sound like Pinkerton. Like that words has been, uh, those words have been uttered to every engineer and producer and every album since Pinkerton yep. until I realized that I got to stop doing that because it's making my records sound bad because people can't do it. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing to they do that. <laughs> they can't do it as well as they did it. Yeah. Well, cause it was, it was a combination. I, I actually weirdly tangent here. Sorry. I I interviewed Matt about Matt Sharp that album Matt Sharp yeah I had an interview where it was like musician interviews musician for I yeah. don't know where it was for I'll press or somewhere and like yeah I read a bunch of questions and they have an actual journalist there so they make sure we don't get stupid and we actually <laughs> talk about what we talk yeah, about yeah. but I was in New York at Irving Plaza and I interviewed Matt Sharp in person very awkward you know because I'm like Weezer's like I, mean, I don't even Matt know if Sharp I could have gotten like, through it. 
Yeah. It, it was great. He was actually really cool and chill. And I was like, Pinkerton, like, what the fuck, man? Like, you go from the Blue Album and then you make this, like, masterpiece, crazy bananas shit. Like, how does that happen for you as a band? Like, that's a very well-formed journalist question. No, no, you, but I'm, I mean, it wasn't that question. I had, well, it, it basically, yeah, it, it you put phrased it, down to, it like, a little more, yeah, much more eloquent. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm also, you know, I'm a dumbass. But, but that the, was the thrust of the question, basically. The thrust of the right. question was, yeah. like, how did, how did we get to Pinkerton? Like, why is Pinkerton, you know, and he goes, it, it's like we like the flaming lips are making these like avant-garde, like how what do you call it? Like uh psychedelic rock records. Yeah, like crazy, crazy out there rock album. There's like we wanted to be able to do the same thing. It's like that's why there's like a the only right. way we could get away with this stuff is that we just like went all in basically with this idea of like this was just gonna be our you know, they were just trying to break from their own mold. And and I wow. think and that it just like turned into this crazy loud they were singing vocals into the same microphones and like they're one of those you know it's one of those big one of the biggest rock what ifs like what if rivers had not had such a personal you know internally violent reaction to the initial success or failure of that record Mm -hmm. because it ends up you know (laughs) frankly outlasting everything at least other than the blue album that they've done and most rock records ever made. Uh, but he really turns a corner and kind of never looks back, you know, from the green album on. Well, internally the band was like falling apart. Like they you know, you even see interviews where they're talking about like why, you know, they've been using Spike Jones for all their videos. Yeah. And then they use someone else for El Scorcho. Is it El Scorcho or the one of them? They use someone the else. Single, yeah. And like you can see them arguing in interviews about it. Like, why would we not use the guy that is yeah. like the thing with us? Wow. Yeah. It just like he started like he did the thing where he started trying not to be what he is. And yeah. it's classic rock stuff, you know. I think that pop star, if you're ever wondering what it's like being in a band and having the trajectory of success, watch that pop star movie Never Stop Stopping. <laughs> Never stop, never stopping. Yeah, yeah never stop. Never, all jokes aside, the inner band bullshit that's going on there and the how yeah. things go and it is exactly right. That is yeah. the the game of being in a band as you get bigger. And I've seen other bands that have gotten way bigger and just go through that bizarre trajectory. The people around you just you just you get sent down a path, and that that's the path. Yeah, no, it's true. We didn't get as big, so the stakes were lower for us. But just being friends with with you guys and a bunch of other bigger bands, like that's correct. Um, you mentioned Jimmy Eat World, and also in '96 yeah. we get their first record, Static Prevails. This is an mm-hmm. under known record. It has some really great songs. It's got Jim Adkins and Tom trading vocals. A lot more, yeah. They only do really on this record and and come clarity. Tom sings two songs, I think, on clarity, and then it's just Jim from then on. But this record really wears the influence of the mid 90s emo scene on its sleeve. It's before Jimmy Eat World has figured out their trademarked proprietary blend of emotionally salient, vulnerable pop masterpieces. Mm -hmm. That's the phrase I in the middle has never come up. No, yeah, yes, like the, the middle. Not but figured even, out in the middle yet. Even Clarity uh, is getting closer with all the the sort of studio trickery and layering and and replacing guitar parts with other instruments and sort of 
uh, experimenting with different ways to manipulate your and my emotions in our bedroom <laughs> with our headphones on, you know? Um, but mm. this is a really cool record. If people don't know Static Prevails, it's very worth a listen. And Definitely. I think you'll end up uh, really just adding it to the rotation. Here is uh, the the most fully realized layered section of my favorite track. It was called Call It In The Air. Dude, that, that record is like the moment. Let's play one other uh, track from this record because it doesn't get enough love. Maybe little, let's let's hear Tom. Let's let's play Rockstar. <laughs> Rockstar. Rockstar is great. It's great. Let's see if um, I can find the totally different here. vibes. Yeah. That guitar work is totally what we've been talking about. Oh yeah, though, totally. Right. Yeah, the, yeah. the the guitars are playing a little higher stuff. They're not moving around. The bass is handling the chord progression, and then that a little like a half riff at the end of the chorus. You know, um, you're already hearing how good Jimmy World is getting at. Uh, filling each second of a song with something catchy to listen to. Anything else to say about Static Prevails? It's a great album, and people should, you know, it's weird because Clarity gets all the love, right? Because Clarity is like, they had the major label budget, they had the the time, they really went for like the, we're making the creative genius album, right? Like the, yeah, you know, even when I asked Mark Trombino to produce to to mix our album Commitments to Memory. He mixed most of that album. Yeah. And part of the thing I was talking to him about when we were talking was like, you know, we love clarity. And that just put him in a spot where he was like, oh fuck, man. Like I had so much time and different studios and like, yeah. like they like like to do that. And you'd ask me, like, he was like, ah, because <laughs> that's like so much it was so much that record they did so much with that record to make yeah. it sound as good as it is it's really like a a creative force so anyways 1997 the get up kids enter mm-hmm. the chat yes Again, like their EP sounds better than Four Minute Mile does. <laughs> like it goes down to that. Like we got a bunch of money, we want to work with these people, but that only affords us two days or four days to make a record. And right, right. Like, I've actually talked to them about it, and that's literally what it was like. They literally made that record in like the few days they could afford. Right, yeah, which is maybe with the a funds. week long with with Bob Bob West. It's the guy from Shellac, the other the bass player. Yeah, yeah. but anyways, yeah, they they. Uh, yeah, so it's just, it's just like 
that record has it, it, it's amazing, but it is raw in a way, which maybe makes it even better. I don't know. It's it's a little harder to go back to. You know, I, I go back to something to write home about, which of course we'll we'll talk about. I mean, we may not get to it today. We'll see how far we get. But uh, I go back to that record more. Uh, certainly. But what I'm hearing in Coming Clean, the track we just heard, is like, mm-hmm. it's that soft loud that we heard in Sunday Day Real mm-hmm. Estate. And it's mm-hmm. a lot of that guitar work that you actually called out in Sunday Day Real Estate. But then it's also that particular upbeat vibe from Super Chunk that we heard uh, last week. And then, of course, you know, Matt Pryor's distinctive vocals. And it's got that emotional uh thrust and it is it is aiming for the part of you and I that really wants that emotional salience that kind mm-hmm. of hard on the sleeve quality and it's just going straight for it yeah and I'll say that the get up kids had a different thing they did there right like Matt Pryor's vocals were instead of being sad and mopey they were like angsty yeah like yeah. you know there was like an angst to it that was like yo fuck yeah it was like it was like yeah. this more like I told you this and you said, nah, well, screw it. You know, it was like this kind of like, like I'm better off without this yes. kind of a thing. A lot you of know? his songs like lyrically are sort of like breakup letters to friends, you know, like a lot yeah. of the, his lyrics are quite vague. It's, you know, I've heard him interviewed where he's explained one or two of them and I would never have guessed it kind of a thing, but it seems like he's processing a lot of friendships and relationships a lot of the time, which all the way back to 1985, Rites of Spring. That's one of the things that Guy Picciotto is uh, known for, or you know what is often said of what he did with that band is he turned away from the politics of the DC hardcore scene. He turned inward and started writing songs about emotions and interpersonal relationships. And mm-hmm. that was not present in hardcore. And so no. it becomes emo core. And then here we are in 1997, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, with some of the fruits of that long-term. Yeah. Yeah. So in 97, we get the promise ring. Nothing feels good. We've already listened to that record and talked about it. And then another touchstone is that deep Elm records out of uh, Dallas starts releasing the emo diaries compilations. And these are pretty spotty. You know, there's a lot of small bands that never even put out records. My band's on there. Oh really? Which band? Saddest girl story. Yeah. Emo diaries. Number two, baby. By the way, there is a starting line song called the saddest girl story. Do you want the story right now? Yeah. Let's hear it. So when I met Kenny back in the day, we started playing shows together and I noticed that song title. I was like, that's fucking weird, man. That what you'd have chances, a song. Yeah. That, what are the chances of that? And he tells me, yeah, they were in the studio making a record and he needed a title of a song. He couldn't figure it out. And he literally went through some CDs and he found that title off our CDs, off the song, and he used it. Wow. Yeah. So it literally <laughs> is because of that band. Wow. Let's play it. Let's hear Saddest Girl Story. Come on. So, so it's my band that I'm in. I'm playing bass. But it is also all the members of this band called Kill Sadie, except for a couple members. We replaced the drummer. The drummer is Aaron Tate of Kill Sadie, but now he's singing. Okay. Aaron Tate goes to become Minus the Bear. Yeah. And this guy, his brother, Noel Tate, is in this band. But yeah, we're like the emo version of their hardcore band. And we're leaning hard into it. All right, let's hear it.
not a bad chorus. No, it's a good chorus. It's a cup. It's a, a pop rock chorus. Yeah, that thing. No offense to Aaron. Love the dude, and I'm not by any means talking shit. After I left that band, I made the choice. I was like, man, well now I know how this can do things, right? And I was like, yeah. what's the one thing? This includes myself because I used to sing in my band before this. I was like, what's the one thing all my friends' bands and everybody I know that's doing it and working hard at it missing? And that is a vocalist that is like actually just raw talented at singing. I mean, a lot of these bands are missing that. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, just like yeah. one thing that, like, yeah. I was like, there's one thing that has always been like second thought, right? Like the yeah. last piece of the cake, right? Yeah, like, oh, totally. Like, what do we need? Oh, I'll just sing. I can do it. I want to do it, right? Yeah. That kind of thing. Where then that's what made me seek out Justin because he's the only person I'd ever seen in the scene of stuff able to actually sing on key and yeah best decision worst decision i've ever made in my life <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to save that for the motion city soundtrack episode like we had all the elements there it was all there it's really under thought about because like for instance when i heard that rise against got tim through holding singer auditions after 88 fingers louis ended and they tried like 20 singers and i heard that and i was like that's such a fucking obvious idea and such a good idea. Why don't you hear about this more often? I think back in the 80s, that was the vibe, sure, right? Metal sure. bands did that. Yeah. It's just not the way that most bands like this form. They form organically out of friendships, friendships out of yeah. affinity for different bands. So you don't tend to have that sort of business mindset of let's no. try eight different singers, you know, or whatever it no, is. No, you'd have been shunned for being dickheads. Like the whole yeah, thing about this right. scene prior to like it breaking big time was that these were all like buds. I mean, the yeah. Get Up Kids to this day are like best friend brothers for life, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like hanging around them in a in a normal setting, like it's that that's the thing. Like, you know, there's bands like mine, which we've been together and we've had to alter our relationship to be business related and friendship related both ways, just because to make it last as long as it is, because it's hard to maintain relationships forever on that kind of level without someone, you know, getting to a breaking point. You know, if you're right. like if you're like brothers with your bandmates forever, at some point you're gonna fight because brothers fight. And then if you're not actually brothers. The reality is that you may not stay friends Yeah, because <laughs> like, well, brothers yeah. have to make up most of the time. Somewhat. I guess, it's hard but. to be in a band. It's like being married to four other people in a lot of ways. Uh, mm. Certainly the cohabitation aspect and you have a lot less space when you're on tour <laughs> together. Yeah. And with some of them, your literal future is tied to them, right? Yeah. It's like, it's oh, like yeah. more like a, a husband or wife or part, life partner or whatever it is. Yeah. Just because you're pissed at someone, if you wanted to leave because they made you sad, it comes with a whole other, especially when you become, when it is your livelihood, like yeah. it changes the way you have to like navigate mm -hmm. your relationship. And sometimes you have to, you have to figure that out. And that may mean that you're best friends with everybody. And that might mean that you go away for a while and you're not best friends with people just like, and you make it work. It's just however you need to make it work. You know, those bands that either never reunited like the Smiths or very occasionally like Pink Floyd or Zeppelin, you know, I think that people have who have not been in bands don't really understand how people could leave so many millions of dollars on the table. Uh, why not just do this thing or whatever? But if you've been in a band, you're like, oh, I get it. <laughs> First, money does change things for people and maybe yeah. they get enough of it. They're like, I don't really need more. Fuck this. Or they haven't broke the way you think like the Pixies, right? 
big band, everybody like huge. I can play these t-shirts. Like they were doing good. And then they went on tour with you too. And then they broke up. They weren't, they weren't nearly what they are now yeah, for like a then. live show that happened right. later. A lot right. of bands that happened later for them and they like jawbreakers one, right. Their yeah. success came much after they ended, right? Like they became the infamous thing. I don't know. So we're we have time track. for one more <laughs> clip. No, it's fine. Uh, this right. stuff is interesting. Here's my argument. And I have not researched this as well as I could, but I think that in 97, we get at this point, the clearest and most popular infiltration of emo into mainstream rock with Foo Fighters. And they're mm. not normally credited that way. They're not a part of the conversation, but listen to February stars off of the color and the shape, which is a multi-platinum selling record. And tell me that this is not in line with what we have been talking about last week and today. I'm just going to pull up the bridge sort of section here. bit of supporting evidence for my argument and then we'll get your response number one nate mandel from sunny day real estate is in foo fighters at this point number two william goldsmith from sunny day real estate is the original drummer on this record while they were writing this record and later Grohl goes in and re-records the drums number three that song could be on jimmy eat world static prevails it would fit perfectly and number four we're not going to play them but there are emo tinges to my hero and Everlong as well. Mm -hmm. In fact, the first time anyone ever told me what emo was, Mike Wright of the Fighting Jacks, a band that was on Tooth and Nail, for one record, he told me it is, it's like My Hero by Foo Fighters. Now, I don't, that's not the best definition ever, but it always stuck with me. And I think this is where it's laying a little bit of the groundwork for eventually Jimmy Eat World to explode with the middle. What do you think yeah. of my argument? I don't think there's even an argument. I think it's the, the it's just facts, right? F Foo Fighters in in general, like I kind of skipped the first Foo Fighters album. Like I wasn't jumping down the throat of that and like trying to, mm -hmm. you know, but like Everlong, like there's no question. I think that Dave Grohl loves music, right? I think the guy yeah. is loves music. Yeah. And I think at that particular time, he must have loved Sunny Day Real Estate. Because he literally gobbled up the rhythm section. <laughs> he took two out of the four members, yeah. They live in Seattle, of course. They all live in Seattle at that yeah, time. And, but and those two dudes are like, that was a great rhythm section. That was oh, yeah. really a, earlier than their time. I mean, some people don't like William Goldsmith. Some people do. I don't know what the deal is. I always thought he was like really crazy and interesting and cool. Yeah, great drummer. Yeah, great drummer. I just know there's some drummer friends of mine that are like, meh. I mean, I imagine... That record is better with Dave Grohl's drumming on. I don't think they should have kept. Oh, I the don't Goldsmith think that Dave parts. Grohl is like the supreme being of yeah, drums, right? Sure. Like, I don't think he could play. He's just he's the guy, right? Yeah. But you know, it was. I don't think he would have replaced him if 
there hadn't been what happened in the background, which I believe is all drug related and stuff. And he just didn't want anything to do with that. And was like, you're out and I'm going to just erase it, which I, yeah, from maybe, a business standpoint. I don't know. He's, I don't know. I think that there's maybe a little control freak in Grohl and he's got a vision and he played drums on the first record. And so there's some continuity. I mean, I there heard might that- be some of that, but I think that also is in a professional reason. Like if you're yeah, actually sure. angry with someone for doing, for wronging something, yeah. which I, believe is the story i'm not sure yeah i'm not that sure you would go in and just wipe it clean just not have to deal with it right like, sure like let's just buy this person out let's yeah. never yeah exactly yeah, the, the, yeah we're just removing them from the album I think you're obviously right about there's that. probably yeah. some writing credits that were still had they to be shared got, yeah. or some sort yeah. of but but at least like the mechanical performance is gone yeah and then dave doesn't have to think like i don't you know i mean like sure I buy that. Hey, uh, we've gone through a similar thing in our band. We had to, you know, we wiped a person clean from an album, and yeah. it, it happens. Yeah. Yeah, right there. I think he's a fan of Sunny Day. There's no way he hasn't been listening to Sunny Day Real Estate. Yeah. Like, so you're going to hear it. But I also think that he can lean into way other ways. Like, there's 100%. songs on, there's even songs on The Color Shape that I'm like, this isn't my bag. And I just skip. Like, they're yeah. like, you know, they're just not my thing when he gets a little like, bar rocky sometimes he's mm-hmm. got a little bit of that in there that i just it, it, for me it just it probably is nowhere near what i'm actually making it out to be but to yeah. me it just makes me go nah, i'll skip that song but like my hero everlong there's so many songs that are just like they're like thus like there's they're amazing they're yeah. perfect as far as like rock the way i wanted rock to be right and i think that's what emo is like emo changing into rock the old rock figuring out how to become its own thing from turning from a metal nirvana it just like it's a transformation yeah. of like the 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 heavy metal to i'm upset i'm gonna sing about it and i'm not singing about like girls with big boobs and motorcycles anymore now it's about like my my depression <laughs> like <laughs> i think that's no I, I but i think you're right it's like we're ending here at a point where it's coming of age. It's not blowing up commercially yet, but 97 and and the stuff we're about to get to in 98 that we'll have to get to uh, in the next episode, it's really growing up, becoming its own fully formed thing. When we get mineral, when we get American football, when we get clarity, right? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. And we get the Get Up Kids something right home about. Like, that's, you know, the Mount Rushmore-ish, <laughs> something like that. And it's been very fun and very cool to sort of walk through this chronologically with you and see all the steps and all the pieces that were a part of it coming into its own. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. And it's also have- fun to hear that we are both—we just really want a loud-ass rock band to aim their sights— on stirring us emotionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very particular I want to be like, just lost in the sauce, you know? You want, you'd yeah. be in the mosh pit and just like, you know, feeling it all the way. Yeah. You know? There's a reason I like Bjork and going to those shows. They, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's like the mixture of like this, all this music into this like, hey, I've got, I, I found my dad's old guitar and I learned how to play a few chords and now I'm going to sing about this sad shit that's happening to me. Yeah, like that's what the early, you know, like the promise rings or the, you know, the, the minerals. Like they found a distortion pedal and they're like, "What happens when I just turn this up and I just make noises and you know, like, yeah, just headbang heavily." But it's not metal. It's no, just, it's it's 
but it doesn't oh. make you want a headbang. I'm so excited to get to Mineral. When we worked with Ed Rose, he always said, oh, this is the hoodie head bob spot. <laughs> the hoodie head bob. It's like hoodies up and you head bobbing. <laughs> well, Josh, thanks so much, man. Um, this has been a real joy uh, to do these two uh, parts with you. It's always a pleasure, Dan. And I'm happy to talk to you more. And hopefully this is usable and fun. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can make me say some weird stuff by editing. <laughs> It'll be great. It'll be great. Bonus points to any listener who picked up on these little Sherwood Easter eggs in the uh, emo episode outgoing music selections. Huge thanks to Josh Kane for joining me. What a pleasure talking through these uh, bands and the, this era with him. We will be back to do this uh, probably in a couple months. We'll we'll do the next installment of Emo uh, with somebody else helping me out, uh, listening and chatting through it with me. Uh, there are Spotify playlists for every episode, including this two-parter. So go get your fix of early Emo and come back next week for Jimmy Eat World's Clarity. Thanks. <laughs>